welcome to the Church in the Peak podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information, visit churchinthepeak.org. Morning. Those of you who are astute will have noticed there's some uh, some bread and some wine at the front, and uh, we're going to be sharing communion. So before we do, um, I just want to spend a few moments just talking to you about communion um, so that um, we can actually understand what do we do and why do we do it. And uh, I think that will really help us. Um, but before I do, I just want to share a couple of encouragements. Oh, sorry, explore. You're going to stay in because I'm not going to talk for a long time. And so, um, and then you'll obviously be taking part. A um, couple of encouragements. We've been talking about community and encouragements. And uh, I just want to share a couple of encouragements from our church community. So I said um, in December, somebody had kind of ambushed me and prayed for my back because I'd been complaining about the fact that I get sciatica. And I'd had it for about 10 years after shifting a caravan at New Day one year. And... Um, they prayed for me and all the pain had gone. Well, it's still gone three months on and I just praise God that no matter what I do, whether it's sport or whatever, I'm not getting sciatic pains, um, which is fantastic. And that was just because somebody said, I'm not having that, I'm going to pray for you, somebody else within the church. So that was amazing. And uh, a couple of experiences that I've had in the last couple of weeks. So um, two weeks ago, I was due to go to the Southern groups and I shared with this with them on the night. I'd I was really tired, and I'd had a bad day at work, and I was driving down towards Belper, and I nodded off at one point during the journey, and I just thought, why am I driving south? I'm tired, they won't notice whether I'm there or not, and it doesn't matter. And, uh, and I got there, and I had the most brilliant evening, and I was really, really encouraged, and came away buzzing. There was no way I could fall asleep on the journey on the home, homeward kind of leg, because actually I was buzzing with what God's doing uh, in our church. And then this last week on Thursday, we were in um, Birmingham for a meeting, and we'd spent about five hours in the car. Thank you, Phil, for all your driving. And, uh, and I got home, and there was about 15, 20-minute turnaround, and uh, I just thought, I don't need to go out tonight. I really, surely I don't need to go out. But kind of learning the lesson of the week before, I thought, no, I'll go. And uh, you know what? Once again, really blessed being part of God's community. And I want to encourage you, you know, um, getting together is really important. Because when we're on our own, we can kind of sit on the sofa and um, not take part in things. Um, But I want to encourage you. Get out there and take part when things are happening because God wants to bless you and he blesses us so often in community uh, and in our times of gathering. So I just want to encourage you in that. Now, um, I want to tell you a bit of a story uh, about communion, which is the, the topic this morning. Um, I grew up in, um, in church and uh, going to church. And during my childhood, at various points, there was communion. And then when I got old enough, if we were in kind of a parish church, then I'd get to the front because they were doing communion and I could have communion. And, uh, but I didn't necessarily take it in the church that I was in um, because I was never sure, should I, shouldn't I? And, um, and uh, it was a Baptist church and, and there really wasn't the kind of culture that um, until you were baptized that you, you took part in, in having communion. And um, when I was living in Herefordshire, uh, my parents had a hotel 
and uh, we we didn't get out to go to church very often because uh, Sunday was a really busy day. Um, but then I got a driving license, and I was set free. There was no buses where we lived, so you couldn't get on a bus and go into town. It was about five miles to town, so you needed a car, or there was no other way. And um, so when I could drive, I thought, great, I can jump in the car, and I can go to church. It doesn't matter if my parents are busy. So uh, I used to go off to church, and uh, one Sunday night, um, I was sitting in the balcony with loads of my mates, and, um, and then they said, well, we're going to have communion. And so if you have been baptized and you know the Lord Jesus, then uh, if you can come down from upstairs, um, and uh, everyone went downstairs, and I'm sat on my own in the balcony. I'm the only one. And, uh, and I was very distressed. And I was like, God, this doesn't seem fair. How come I can't have this bread and this wine when everybody else is? I don't see that written in the Bible, and I'm really frustrated with this. And actually, I just want to know you more. And and I just spent some time just kind of saying to God, I really want to know you. And um, I was filled with the Spirit that night on the balcony. Um, I didn't go join in with communion, and I, I can't tell you a lot of what happened because it was me and God in the balcony, and I had this most amazing experience. And um, I knew that the next Sunday, um, the communion was going to be in a little chapel, which I sometimes went to, and so I thought mentally, go to the main church next Sunday, because it won't be communion. You won't have to put yourself through any of the angst about whether you join in or not. And the next Sunday morning, it was, uh, was last-minute things in the hotel. It was really busy. I dived in the car. There was only about three minutes to go, so I went one mile to the chapel, walked through the door. I was like, oh, no, they're doing communion again. I just don't want to be here. And a guy, when he was preaching, a guy called Anthony, he's preaching, and then he said, we're going to have a time of communion. If you know the Lord Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then you're invited to take part. I was like, yes. I can take part. So, and, and, and I took the bread and the wine, and uh, there was a great blessing taking the bread and wine in amongst that community. And uh, God did something in my heart that day. I'd been kind of holding out against being baptized. And that morning, he kind of broke something in me as I shared with the bread and wine. And, uh, and I went to the pastor of the church, and I said, I need to be baptized. You know, I know Jesus. I'm taking communion. And I need to be baptized because I'm told that I should be. And uh, so I want to go and, and do this. And sure enough, I was baptized. And uh, so there's kind of a little bit of a story about how I grappled with communion in the churches that I was in as I grew up. And I was never fully sure what it was all about. And it was only as I grew older that, and I read more about it that I actually started to understand what it's about. So I just want to talk for a few minutes this morning. I want to explain um, what about teachings of Jesus, the teaching of Paul, um, about what we do when we share bread and wine together. Now, there's a ton of different ways of saying this. So I've used the word communion. Um, there's uh, the word, old-fashioned word sacrament, the sacrament, sharing the sacrament. Um, the Eucharist. That's another one, and uh, that's kind of used, tends to be informal church, they use that word. The Lord's Supper, that's kind of a really informal way of saying it. Breaking of bread, 
That's another way. And uh, all these things mean exactly the same thing. So uh, if you've heard those words before, that's what we're talking about. So I want to um, read a little bit from Luke. I think it will come up on the screen. The setting for this is it's the Passover meal. So Jesus is there with his disciples. And they've shared the Passover meal, which is something they did once a year just before the Passover. And uh, as they were sharing the Passover meal, there was an extra place around the table. So there was Jesus and the 12 disciples, and there was a 14th chair or place setting around the table. So it was an extra goblet of wine, an extra thing of bread. And that was set for Elijah. Now, um, there's loads of different theories about why the Jews set a place for Elijah, and I'm not going to go into them, but they had this extra place. And they've finished their meal, they've had their meal together, and they're reclining at the table. They're lying around because their bellies are full, and they've had some wine, and they're kind of really relaxed. And Jesus reaches out, and he takes the cup that's meant for Elijah. Now, this is a no-no. This is a huge No, no. And he takes the goblet and he gets the bread and he shares it with them. And this is what happens. And when the hour came, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you that I will not eat it again until it's fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup and when he'd given thanks, he said, take this. Divide it amongst yourselves, for I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread, and when he'd given thanks, he broke it, and it gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup, after they had eaten, saying, The cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on this table. For the Son of Man goes as it has been determined, but woe to the man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to question one another, which of them it could be who was going to do this. So this really important thing happens, and they all kind of get a bit distracted about who it was that was going to betray Jesus. And I don't know how much they really understood about what was going on, but they obviously remembered. Um, Because actually, as we read about the early church, we learn that they were sharing bread and wines. And Paul talks about it when he's writing to the Corinthian church, which is 20 or 30 years later. And he writes to them about what they're doing. And um, so there's another bit, and I'm not going to put it all on the screen because it... It would be far too small, and you'd have to get binoculars out to read it. Um, But I just want to read this bit from 1 Corinthians 11. So if you've got a Bible, you might want to turn to 1 Corinthians 11. Um, It starts at verse 17. So we've got this church. Paul has um, helped um, start off the Corinthian church, and he's writing to them about what he's heard about. And um, so he... Sorry just moved that microphone it's suddenly gone very loud and um, so there's Paul and uh, he's heard about the Corinthian church these new earpieces don't fit my ears 
My ears are obviously too small. Um, so there's Paul, and uh, he's writing to the Corinthian church, and uh, this is what he says. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you. So when Paul starts like that, you kind of figure he's an unhappy chappy. Because when you come together, it's not for the better, but it's for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there's many divisions among you. And I believe it in part. For there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. But when you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another one gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. So here's Paul going, actually, I understand what Jesus did on that night of the Passover meal. When he broke the bread and he shared the wine, I understood that and I taught you about this when I was with you. So I've kind of set you off doing this. And so as they met in their little houses um, and they met as the people of God, they would be sharing together bread and wine. But unfortunately, they were arguing with each other. They weren't together. And then some would dive in. They'd eat all the bread because they were hungry. They'd down the wine, get drunk. Other people wouldn't get any bread or any wine. And it just wasn't as it should be. So Paul tells them, what should you be doing? So I received from the Lord what I've delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he'd given thanks, he broke it, and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So here's Paul saying, as you eat the bread and drink the wine, actually what this is about is actually you're saying, we remember what Jesus did. We remember that not only was he betrayed after that meal, but that he ended up going to the cross and dying. But that also on the third day he rose again. And as he rose again, he took our sins away. And that we had access to the Father. We had access to heaven. And so we, we drink from the cup and we eat the bread. Because actually we remember what he did. And we remember the power of what Jesus did as we meet together. Whoever therefore eats the bread and drinks of the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner is guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. Now, when I was growing up, that was really majored on in the churches that I was in. You do this wrong and you're going to get badly judged. God's going to come down on you like a ton of bricks. And so it was a really fearful thing, sharing bread and wine. 
And that's why I think a lot of the time, um, as young people, we just weren't even allowed to engage in what was going on because there's potentially judgment. But that's not what Paul's saying. Paul's saying, you're arguing amongst yourselves. You're, you're, you're really not living as church. And then, this will stay down. Um, then, not only are you not living right, but then you, then you get drunk and you eat all the bread. And actually, that's not right. Because that's not what it was about. It was about sharing together and remembering. And if you've got those wrong things, go deal with them. Go, go make up with your brother. And then come together as a body and share together. And enjoy and remember what great things God has done for you. He goes on to say, that's why many of you are weak and you're ill and some of you have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. When we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone's hungry, let him eat at home so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. About the other things, I'm going to give you directions about those when I come and see you. So Paul's like, this one's really important. I want you to get this one sorted out soon. There's some other stuff you're not doing quite, quite right, I don't think. But I'll talk to you about that when I come. And, um, and, but he, he singles out this thing of sharing bread and wine because he wants them to get it right as a church. And um, there's lots of rules that lots of churches make about having communion together. And uh, I just want to talk about some of those today. Some of them seem quite mad to me. And some of them seem quite like, yeah, I'm sure that's what Paul was talking about. And I just want to explore some of those things together. So, questions for us. How often should we take bread and wine? Well, Paul says, was often... As you eat it and drink it. And that raises big questions. What's he talking about? Now some people interpret that, that it's the Passover meal. Who here celebrates Passover? What, none of you celebrate Passover anymore? And so some people take that, well, there's no need to actually share bread and wine anymore. That's the past, because we don't... Paul's writing to people who understood Jewish tradition, but actually, we don't celebrate Passover, so therefore, we don't need to share communion whatsoever. It's done and passed, over and done with, so therefore, we never have to do it. At the other extreme, there's people who say, every time you meet together as the people of God, you must share bread and wine. And it almost becomes quite religious. We have to do this. If we don't do this, we're going to get judged and it's not going to be right. And there's two kind of extremes there. And I'd like to think that we're going to be somewhere in the middle. Some churches, it's once a quarter. Um, Pamela was brought up in the um, Presbyterian church. And um, in the Presbyterian church, once a quarter... They'll have communion. They all do it, all the Presbyterian churches, at the same time. And um, before they have that, they have a Friday night meeting. And uh, you have to go to the Friday night meeting. 
um, so that you can get yourself in the right frame of mind to take bread and wine on the Sunday and you get given a little card and then you take the little card on the Sunday and you share the bread and wine but you can only get it if you've got the card and so churches have made very strict rules about how they do these things if you're in the Church of England um, or in the Catholic Church, they, they would say, actually, you need to have been um, baptized and then confirmed. And once you've been confirmed, you can go take part. And so some of them would say, well, if you're not Church of England, you can't take part. And they're very strict about that. And I've been in some places where they say you can't um, because you're, you've not got the right badge. You can't take part. And I'd like to say, well, if we're the people of God, then surely we can take part together. I've lost my ears. That's where they should be. They feel like they're falling down. Um, so, when, when do we do it? Well, actually, we, we do it quite sporadically. And um, I know um, Dave and Jill Cook, they encourage us, let's take bread and wine together. And, um, and that's great to have that encouragement. And uh, we, we like to do this together. Um, but we don't have a timetable that says we're going to do it like this. And you'll notice that when we do it, we do it slightly differently uh, on different times. And, and that's because actually we don't want there to be a formula that you've got to do it in a particular way. Because it doesn't seem that that's what Paul is telling them. He's telling them about being together as a church. And actually, we often take it in other settings. And I want to encourage you about that today, that you can, you can do it in many different settings. So I just want to talk about where should we do it. Well, in a formal church, kind of a traditional church, it's only administered by a priest. So therefore... You have to be in a formal church setting, and then you can share bread and wine. And we'd say, actually, no, we're all priests. We're all the people of God. Therefore, as we meet together, we can share bread and wine. So if you're having a meal together, if you're spending time together, you can share bread and wine. Yes, we do it in the church setting, but we should be doing it in a small group setting as well. So if you're leading worship in your small group, or you're meeting as a group together... You can share bread and wine. There's no reason that you can't. Once I was in a church and they told me, um, by taking this um, bread and taking this wine, your sins will be cleansed. And I didn't take part because I thought, actually, that's not right. By drinking it and eating it, my sins weren't cleansed. My sins were cleansed on that cross as Jesus died for me. And so I decided on that occasion I wouldn't take part with those around me. Because actually my conscience didn't feel right about that. But usually, if I'm in a church and they're doing it, I don't mind whether I've got a little card or not. I'll just go and take part. And I have indeed done that at um, Pamela's parents' church. I think it raised a couple of eyebrows. but Because um, I didn't go on the Friday night either. Um, but, um, but I think if you're part of the people of God, then you can share. And, uh, and I understand and my conscience feels clear about that. So who should take it is the next question. Well, if you know Jesus, if he's your Lord and Savior, if you know him, then you can take it. That's what we're told. And uh, there's no, you have to do X, Y, and Z first. 
But Paul does say, examine your heart. And if you're not in the right place, just don't take it. Go and deal with those things with you and God. Maybe with someone else. Get them sorted out and then go and do it. So we're told, you know, all kinds of restrictions. And I would say we don't need to hold to those at all. You might ask about children. Now, um, I think if you're still praying to the baby Jesus and you don't understand what's going on, you might decide you're going to eat and drink as it comes past. Is God going to judge that young child for that? I don't think so. don't think so at all. And uh, last week we were at um, leader, uh, a youth leaders conference and uh, we were sharing the bread and wine and it had finished. And then all the children grabbed all the rolls that were left over and started noshing on them because it was well past lunchtime by this point. Does God judge them because they've eaten the holy bread? No, it's just bread. And uh, it depends which um, part of the church you're in, you know, the bread is the body and it changes into the body of Jesus mystically. No, it's bread. It's wine. And actually, it's okay. And that leads me on to, well, what should we eat and drink? And um, so I've got a couple of cartoons that kind of help us with this. Um, the first one of um, man at the altar with the wine list. One way of increasing the numbers. And, uh, you know, what type of wine should we use? Does it have to be kind of sanctified wine? Does it need to be special wine? Mm, no, I don't think so. We use grape juice, actually, because some people can't drink wine because actually for their health, they can't. And so we use grape juice. And uh, does that matter? No, I don't think so. Um, the next one. So... When it was discovered that communion crackers and juice were in short supply, the communion stewards, Ted and Bill, quickly uh, nabbed up from the fellowship centre a large tray of donuts and some bottles of pop. Could you do this? Yeah, you could. There was an outrage one year at um, Greenbelt Festival, and um, one bishop, and I can't remember which bishop it was, um, had arranged that as they were going to take communion together, he'd arranged loads of Big Macs, and um, things of Coke. And they passed along the road, the Big Macs. I don't know what the veggies did, apart from take a little bit of the bread. Um, and, uh, and passed along the things of Coke. And there was outrage. It was like in the church times, how dare this bishop have do this? It's got to be sacred bread. It's got to be sacred wine. But no, they were the people of God meeting together. And actually, Jesus used what was on the table. Now, what's on the table for a load of teenagers is a Big Mac, fries, and uh, some Coke. And is it wrong to use those? No, it's not. It doesn't have to be something special. And we can go to the nth degree to make sure that what we're using is perfect. So you know those little wafers? Who went to Catalyst last year? Some of us did. And uh, when we were at Catalyst, we got this little thing of grape juice with a little wafer on the top. And, oh, was it nasty, Matthew? Oh, <laughs> And the, the wafers, um, they, they are technically not bread, but they make them bread because into every mix they put like half a teaspoon of gluten because they want them to be gluten-free for those who can't eat gluten. But 
They want to make sure they're still bread, so they put a little bit of gluten in. And in the vats of the grape juice, they put a little bit of wine, just a little touch, so that technically it's got some wine in it. And I just want to say sometimes these things can go far too far. If you're celiac here and you can't eat bread, and we've got real bread this morning, I can tell you as a doctor, if you have a little tiny bite of that every so often, it's not going to harm you. You will not suffer as a result of a little tiny bit. If you eat the loaf, that's not good for you. But it's fine. But with the juices I've said, actually, if it was real wine, that could really cause some people to stumble. If you were alcoholic, to drink a little bit of real wine is not going to be helpful to you. So we try and be helpful to those around us. There's nothing special with the bread and the wine. But we use it because that's what Jesus used. And uh, we want to follow what he said. But I want to say, if you are in someone's house, and you're with them, and you're having tea and hobnobs, and actually you've just made up about the thing that's causing you a problem between you, and you say, let's share the tea and the hobnob together, and you break the hobnob, and you eat a piece each, and you drink a bit of the tea together. Is there anything different? No, it's all about us recognizing what Christ did for us corporately. And so if when you're having tea and biscuits next time, next time you're in Costa with someone, you want to do that, it's not a problem. Because actually, we're instructed, when you're together, do this. So, lastly, last of my questions, how should we do it? Well, we need to examine ourselves. That's the key. Paul was really clear about that. If you've got the outstanding quarrel, go and fix it. But actually, there's no hard and fast rule. And I just want to encourage you. This is something we're instructed to do together. And we're going to do it together corporately in a moment. And um, that's going to be great. And we're going to get the kids to come back in um, from, from Kids Home. And uh, it's right that as the people of God, that we're together as we take bread and wine. And that we don't exclude them. You're too young. You don't understand what's going on. And uh, you need to stay out there. But no, we're family together. And we're going to take it together. John Piper says this. The purpose of the Lord's Supper is to receive from Christ the nourishment and strength and hope and joy that come from feasting our souls on all he purchased for us on the cross. Especially his fellowship. And you know, it's a feast. There might only be a micron of juice and a morsel of bread. But it's a feast, not because we fill our tummies, but because our souls are filled with the amazing thing that Christ did on the cross. And as we focus back, we are filled up and we are nourished in a way that we don't get nourished at other times. I can tell you, when I take the bread and take the wine, there's something that happens. There's something that draws me close to Jesus in a way that other things don't necessarily do because I focus back on what he's done for me. But does it make us clean? I've already said taking it itself does not make us clean. I love this. Um, I read this week. Right now, if this preacher died, it wasn't me that was preaching it, but it was a guy called Paul Washer. If this preacher died, he would go to heaven. 
not because I spent many years in the jungles of the Andes uh, of Peru, not because of my piety, my devotion, or my Bible study, not because of which church I go to, the fact I've been baptized, or that I partake in the Lord's Supper. If I died right now, I would go to heaven because 2,000 years ago, the Son of God shed his blood for this wretched man. And that is my hope. So it doesn't buy you salvation taking part in this. It doesn't at all. It's all about recognizing that we have been saved. And that corporately, Christ has done something amazing for us. There's still something mystical in it, though. I can't explain quite what. But Martin Luther said this about it. He said, Christ's mission and work is to help against sin and death, to justify and to bring life. Justify, that's the term, to make us right with God. He has placed his help in baptism and in the sacrament, that's taking the Lord's Supper, and has incorporated it into the Bible and into my preaching. To our eyes, baptism appears to be nothing more than water. And the sacrament of Christ to be nothing more than simple bread and wine, like any other bread and wine. And this sermon, just hot air coming out of a man's mouth. But we must not trust what our eyes see. There's something that happens. And it's not something we get our head around, not something that we see with our eyes. But it's something that happens when we draw near to God. And so we're going to draw near together. Because as we do, we're going to understand more about him because of something that happens. So I'm going to finish up with another quote. Which puts us in the right frame of mind about what we do. If a friend is the one who summons us to our best, then is not Jesus Christ our best friend? And should we not think of the communion as one of his chief appeals for us to be our best. The Lord's Supper looks not back to our past with a critical eye, but to our future with a hopeful one. And he bids us to come, not because we're better than we have been, but because he wants us to be. To stay away because our hearts are cold is to refuse to go to the fire until we are warm. I love that last bit. To stay away because our hearts are cold is to stay away from the fire until our hearts are warm. And actually, he bids us come. And I don't know how you're feeling today, whether you're feeling on top form, that you're going for it with Jesus, or whether actually you feel really far away. He says, come. Come together, come corporately, and let's worship. So, it's going to be great. The worship band are going to come back. And uh, in a few moments, we're going we're to take the bread and the wine together. And as we do, um, God does stuff in our hearts. And uh, I want to encourage you in that. And uh, we're all going to be able to share. So if you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you can do that too. If you don't, don't feel that you're on the edge. I want to say to you, take part. Take part with everyone. You don't necessarily have to eat the bread and drink the wine if you're not sure where you stand. But the people around you praying for you and you being part of the people of God will say something to you that you wouldn't otherwise hear.